not terror isn't terrorist. <laughs> More like ter- I'm not a terrorist. I'm a terror isn't. <laughs> I like him. Let him off. <laughs> That's how they're getting the ISIS bride back into the UK, I think. That's what she said. I'm a terror isn't. And then they go, well, I can't argue with that logic. Well, you know, she speaks the word. She talks he, the talk. Ego, is your citizenship reinstated? <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck's sake. Satirical. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Tom and as one half of the Omcast I'm joined by Dom. Say hello. Hello. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots and we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind we're here to provide a weekly retrospective of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history. Giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series including plot summaries, analysis and behind the scenes trivia. This week we continue our Marvel origin series by watching where it all began. With the 2008 blockbuster, the 2008 independent blockbuster, (laughs) Iron Man. It's not not independent. Pretty much. Paramount still like distributes it. (laughs) Okay, alright, sorry. Iron Man. Iron Man. Starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Terence Howard, Sean Toob, Clark Gregg, and Jeff Goddamn Bridges. Who's Sean Toob? He, the guy that plays the Mandarin's friend. Oh, right, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Character actor number one. Wow. He's a character actor. He's, he was in loads of stuff. He was the um, captain of the USS Enterprise. No, he was the captain of the USS Kelvin. Yes, he was. Ah. Ah, got ah. You done yourself, mate. Yeah, I'm a nerd. We're all nerds here. Yeah, two so. Of us. <laughs> so, Iron Man. It's, oh, yeah, no. it's, it's great to go back and watch some of these old ones, actually, because the, yeah. that's the thing with Marvel, it's become such a beast now that you forget you know, how it all started in the humble origins, if you like. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the stuff is largely unrecognisable now. Yeah. Like... The way that, I mean, without jumping too far in, but like the way that the tech, for example, in this is so real world. Mm. And then you look at N, uh, Infinity War. Oh, wait, nanotech. When he's got like a <laughs> nanotech thing that just comes out of a little... Yeah, and it started off, he had, he had to have like a full like rig just to get him out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, like you say, it's, uh, it's amazing to go back um, and to see, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s nailed this character yeah. for, for straight away. Um, and then everything that's been built since there. Um, but yeah, before we go any further, let's, let yeah. me do the rundown. So I've done a rundown of what happens in Iron Man. Um, I imagine most people would have seen this. It's sort of a bit of a classic at this point, I guess, in terms of superhero origin stories. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it very much set up the template for what is, was to become the Marvel formula. Um, the Marvel, Marvel method. The Marvel method. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, before we get too far, let me um, do the rundown. So the film opens with ACDC's classic "Back in Black" as a military convoy of Humvees cruise across the Afghan desert. We are quickly introduced to Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark as he jokes around with his military escorts. Suddenly, the convoy is attacked by unseen enemies. During the assault, Stark is hit in the chest by some shrapnel and is then taken prisoner by some as-yet-unnamed Middle Eastern terrorist types. Flashback to 36 hours earlier, or 36 hours earlier. In Vegas, Tony is being presented with an award of some kind, after a very impressive exposition PowerPoint. (laughs) Typically, Tony is too busy gambling and womanising to accept his award, and it is instead presented to his business partner, Obadiah Stane. As Tony and his entourage leave the casino, he is approached by a journalist asking some difficult questions. He initially fobs her off, but his driver subtly informs him that she is an attractive woman and therefore worthy of his time and attention. Sure enough, Tony takes the journalist home for a brief PG-13 sex scene. The following day, Tony's assistant Pepper hastily gets rid of the journalist while Tony avoids her entirely while playing with his toys in the garage. Like a real man. (laughs) Pepper tells Tony that he is due to be on a plane with his military friend Rhodey. Tony rushes to his private jet, where Rhodey has been waiting for three hours. But it's okay, because he had a real good excuse to drive his sports car really, really fast. 
On the plane, Tony belittles Rhodey and his dedication to the military and provides a stripper pole for easy objectification of the stewardesses. <laughs> Tony and Rhodey land in Afghanistan and demonstrate the Jericho missile. On the way back, they're attacked and then we're all caught up with the start of the film. Tony wakes up in a cave and is horrified to find a huge hole in his chest hooked up to a car battery. A fellow captive in the exposition machine, Jensen, informs Tony that he has fitted an electromagnet in Tony's chest to keep the shrapnel from entering his heart. The terrorists demand that Tony build them a Jericho missile, like the one he demonstrated. After some convincing from Jensen, Tony gets to work, but he's not planning on building a missile. Tony creates an arc reactor to power the magnet in his chest without the need to be hooked up to a car battery. Now he's fully mobile, Tony gets to work on his next project, a suit of armour. After further threats and with some help from Jensen, Tony completes the Mark I Iron Man suit and makes his escape. Sadly, Jensen is killed in the process. Aww. Aww. In what is probably the saddest scene of the MCU thus far. <laughs> After wandering in the desert, Tony is rescued by a helicopter carrying Rhodey, who never gave up on his shitty friend. Tony returns to California and is greeted by a tearful Pepper Potts. Tony quickly calls a press conference and makes the shock announcement that Stark Industries will no longer manufacture or sell weapons. Obadiah attempts to talk Tony out of it and hand over the arc reactor for analysis, but Tony is having none of it. Back at the mansion, Tony swaps out the reactor for an upgrade with some assistance from Pepper before going to see Rhodey. Tony tries to recruit Rhodey without telling him details on what he's working on, and Rhodey tells him to get back to making weapons. With seemingly no help from his friends, Tony retreats to his Malibu mansion to work on the next version of his suit. After a series of building montages, Tony creates the Mark II chrome model of the suit and takes it out for a fairly successful test flight before the suit ice up due to altitude. Tony changes the design of the suit to include gold plating and reduce the icing problem, throwing in a little hot rod red in there for extra style points. While the new suit is being constructed, Tony decides to leave the mansion and go to a charity fundraiser his company is throwing. While there, he is confronted once again by the journalist and shown images of Stark weapons being used by bad guys to do bad things. Tony in turn confronts Obadiah, who tells Tony that he was the one who's been attempting to freeze him out of his own company. Back home, some very heavy-handed news reporting convinces Tony to suit up and go and save the civilians being put in harm's way by his weapons overseas. Iron Man lands in Maidapistan and kicks all the ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's fine, that's alright. Sorry. Golmira, have you heard of Golmira? No, because it's made up. Iron Man lands in made up a stand and kicks all the arse before being engaged by two American F-22 fighter jets. Before they can fire on him, Tony calls Rhodey at Mission Control and tells him that the unidentified object is in fact him in a suit. Tony accidentally takes out the F-22, but he saves the pilot just in time. In the least surprising twist ever... Obadiah plays, pays a visit to the Middle Eastern terrorists and it is revealed that he set up the hit on Tony in the first place. Obadiah uses a paralysis gadget to paralysize a terrorist and steal the salvaged Mark I armor Tony used to make his escape. Back at the mansion, Tony asks Pepper to hack into the Stark computers and find any other weapons sold on the black market. In her research, Pepper finds evidence of Obadiah's deal with the terrorists. She narrowly escapes the office with the info, recruiting Agent Coulson on her way out, who was patiently waiting for an appointment that he had made with Tony. Yes. Because he's the best guy ever. Such a good guy. Continuing the Obadiah is evil arc, he visits Tony at the mansion and uses the paralyzer to steal Tony's art reactor while monologuing. Obadiah uses the, uh, Obadiah uses the reactor to power his own prototype Iron Man suit and uses it to attack Pepper and Agent Coulson's team. Tony crawls his way downstairs and is able to install the old art reactor, and with a little help from Rhodey, he's off to save the day. A big fight then ensues between Tony and Obadiah. Tony eventually beats his old mentor with an assist from Pepper. The following day, Tony is prepping for a press conference to explain the explosive events of the night before, where a mysterious Iron Man was photographed saving civilians. While Tony has been given a convoluted official story to tell by Coulson and his colleagues at S.H.I.E.L.D., it isn't long before he goes off book and declares to the world I am Iron Man yeah credits (laughs) 
But wait, there's more. In the first post credit scene since Ferris Bueller's day off, Tony comes home to find a mysterious figure waiting in the shadows. Stepping into the light, Samuel L. Jackson introduces himself as Nick Fury, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's here to talk to Tony about the Avenger Initiative. Whatever that means. Mate. You were describing to me earlier your reaction when you first saw that. Because you must be in a very small percentage of people that knew about it, but didn't know about it sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because... Now it's become an expected thing. The whole post-credit scene, waiting till after the credits. Everyone does it now. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was completely not done. Like, like, like I say, the only example I could think of it having been done before was in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, well, they did it in a, a few other things. Um, they mm. did it in a couple of the parts of the Caribbean ones, but they may have been post the sort of genesis of the MCU. Maybe. Um, um, but yeah, so all you knew was there was just you were told by it was Empire. I think or it was Empire it? magazine, yeah, who or said, Total Film, or one of the film yeah. magazines that said, um, "No spoilers, but be sure to stay around until the end of the credits." And that was it. And I was like, "Okay, that's it." Because a lot of people like they either would have known it going in, or they would have known, or the, yeah, they would have known exactly what it. Not only that yeah. there was a scene, but what the scene entails. Yeah. Um, but you but managed... a lot of people found out like when it came out on like DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so I was there with my partner at the time, and she was like, "Why are we doing this? I don't like you." <laughs> um, with li- and like we were literally the only people in the cinema. Yeah. <clears throat> so it just went on and on and on and on, and then it happened. Like Tony walks into the mansion, Jarvis's voice is a bit wibbly, and then Fury walks up. And this, the point that I saw Fury walk out, before he had a chance to fully become clear, I was stood up. I had my hands on my head, and I did what is now I'd refer to as the MCU gasp. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when something in the MCU happens, so when in Ultron... Yeah, when Vision hands Mjolnir to Thor, yeah, MCU gasp. Yeah, seeing Bucky for the first time as Winter Soldier, MCU gasp. All of these like the yeah, the, yeah. Okay. the the Mark Five costume in yeah, Iron Man. You've, you've got a big thing about the Mark Five. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> like, it just blew my mind seeing it. That was like an extended MCU gasp. But yeah, it was just this amazing moment that was just because <clears throat> no one had any idea. It's like Samuel Jackson must have been that was by far the biggest star in that movie at the time, definitely. I mean, looking at yeah. the, the main cast, it was Terrence Howard. He was paid more than anyone else. Yeah. But then regardless of all that, Samuel Jackson in 2008 was a far bigger star than anyone else yeah. at that point. <laughs> so the, the fact that they were able to get him in for a little cameo and keep it under wraps, it was amazing. Like, he wasn't even in contract. At no, point. no, oh, no. But so one of the things that I would sort of note to people is that a lot of people, if if people are like just sort of cursory fans, they wouldn't have that much of an understanding about it. Mm. And they'd be like, oh, what's that? And that would encourage them to look into it more. But it's this whole way that it was, at the time, it was like loosely going to be based around the Ultimates series, mm. which is like a modernization by Mark Miller and Brian Hitch yeah. of the Avengers sort of system and how everything was brought like hard into the modern era. There were celebrity cameos. People were based off of certain things, certain like actors. Well, yeah, that's the thing. So Nick Fury was based on Samuel Jackson. So it was like yeah, they have they, to. They make a joke about it in the book as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they talk about how. So at that point, surrounding that whole thing, there were um, comics that were being produced that were like quite leaning heavily towards Hollywood. Mm. So the extremist storyline that is. Iron Man 3 is loosely based off of. Yeah, yeah. Was brought out around that time with a guy called Adi Granov, mm. who designed Tony Stark to look like Tom Cruise. Yeah. And it was retconned in the story, or retcon is, as you probably heard us say, but it stands for retroactive continuity, which yeah. means is a, a present day change which adjusts the history of the character for good or bad. In this case, it was quite good. And they, they fractured it from the initial origin of Tony Stark, which was the Vietnam War to um the gulf war yeah 
Yeah. We, and then he developed the suit from there and it all sort of spread on. But yeah, having this come to life at this point just absolutely blew my tiny mind. <laughs> and it was just knowing that other things was coming out and being like, what, the Incredible Hulk's coming out with Edward Norton's? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly fall apart with that? Tim Roth has the abomination. I stand by it. Tim Roth is fucking great in that. Tim Roth is great in lots. Of, I've been watching Tin Star recently. Yeah, he's great. Anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> um, this but, is this is the section of we do do other things. We do do other things. Yeah, no. Um, but anyway, Iron Man and like, and I think it's it was like you say it was lightning in a bottle. It just it came at the exact right moment. Yeah, and it was just the it's like the it was the little sleeper hit sort of thing that could and it was like I, I remember watching the um making of thing and they were talking about how we're like this we're, it's almost like we're this little independent movie with a big budget and we're going up against because that year was the year that like stuff like indiana jones mm-hmm. came out and so the dark knight and so no one expected iron man to be like they were like hopefully this will work hopefully this would you know the, we're hoping that this maybe possibly can launch a franchise it's like little do you guys know yeah. <laughs> you're about to change everything <laughs> like you have no idea how much money it's going to make all the money it's going to launch this huge franchise um but they just they did like say like exactly what i said about captain america last week is that they got the foundation right yeah and they got this story of tony and his sort of character arc and all the rest of it in this movie they nailed it um, and they managed to find a way to make it feel tangible and not too CG heavy because they sort of used a combination of practical suits that they would, the actors would walk around in and they'd film with a combination of CGI and managed to sort of blend that fairly seamlessly. So you end up with these sequences like the, the fighter jet sequence, yeah, which is just amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. And like people talk about like the modern films and how good they are, but it is fairly rare that people go back to these originals, like we were saying, which is pretty much one of the reasons that we're doing this. Yeah. Because, you know, these are the three, principally, the three that really launched that franchise. Yeah. Like, Incredible Hulk was in there, but it's it's gone off on its own path and has been caught up in, like, rights. Yeah, I think, yeah. The, the quagmire of The problem problems. with Incredible Hulk, we talked about covering it on this, the problem with Incredible Hulk is that that was the second attempt of that character already. Yeah. There had already been a version of it. Yeah. So, and by... Because of that, that's part of the reason that movie suffered the way it did. Yeah. Because people were sort of put off the character and they had to make it that much different from what had come before. Whereas with both Iron Man, Captain America and Thor, yeah. it was the first time... Well, well kind well. of. The first, <laughs> the first time they had a theatrically released <laughs> interpretation of them as characters. Um, and so that's why. And they, and they built the franchise. They, like I say, they're the three sort of pillars of well it yeah all. they're the trinity of the avengers yeah um and even like there's there's actually it's funny we, we're doing this because there's now the have you seen the most recent tv spot for captain marvel no there's a little tv spot there's no new footage in it or anything but it's literally it starts out and it shows tony hammering the art the mark one suit yeah and then it's like some heroes are made or some some heroes are built and yeah. then, it, then it cuts to steve as a little skinny steve some are made some are born and then it cuts to oh like, cool thor and says find out what makes her a hero. Ooh. That's really cool, right? I like that. That's literally like if I could sum that up That couldn't have worked out any better for us. No, that's like if I could summarize this series <laughs> in a little 30 second TV spot, that would be it. It's like yeah. it's perfect. I'll show you it later. Um but yeah, no, it's and that is exactly what's happening here. So it's a case of what how is she going to fit into that? There are yeah. certain like there are certain ones like yeah, like say like so Thor was born into it. Tony by far became a hero. I think he's the strongest. He's the one with the most clear character arc in terms of he starts off like an arsehole. And like right in my right up, like he is a fucking arsehole. Oh yeah, he's a total piece of shit. <laughs> but he's just like the only reason that only works because it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's likable. Yeah. But I can't imagine like if they had because at one point Tom Cruise was in the frame for it, wasn't he? Yeah. I can't imagine Tom Cruise being half as likable. No, can you imagine? No, I uh, and yeah, and that's the thing. I think if they'd have had somebody like Tom Cruise, it would have been a totally different film. Yeah, I think it wouldn't have had the same sort of redemptive arc mm. because it, it was John Fav, yeah. John Favreau, the director for readers. Um, 
he really, really pushed for Downey, didn't he? Yeah, like Downey was and like Marvel said no. Everyone said no because he was like uninsurable because he was like he's this sort of down like he's no one knew who he was anymore. He was like down and out. He'd been to prison. Yeah, and all the rest of it. He had all these like all this baggage, but then that's exactly why John Favreau wanted him is because all the best stuff and the worst stuff of his life happened in the public eye. Yeah, and he's been through all this. So he, if anyone can relate to Tony Stark and his whole upbringing and his background, yeah, it's Robert Downey Jr. And it's like he's right. <laughs> he's yeah, he like, is. He's bang on. He's spot on. I mean, there are times when I've heard it said, and you probably can say more about this, that the rdj's version of the character is quite different from the comic book version of the character yeah and they've now sort of retroactively made him more like yeah the the movie version yeah so tony has always been this um well genius billionaire playboy philanthropist (laughs) yeah but um the way that he's characterized in the comics has always been very aloof Hmm. rather than quippy yeah that's the thing i think he's not yeah. So he's 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 like a drier version of like a, he's a bit like a Timothy Dalton Bond, extra, mm. you know, although he's not as quippy, which worked in the sort of sixties and seventies and eighties, and then you know he became a little bit more hardcore in the nineties but- as everyone did. But then as he sort of progressed, he started to become more and more grounded, and it was around this time that, like I said with sort of extremists and stuff like that, when they started to make the characters more grounded and made them more relatable to real life, Mm. was that when it started to change? Yeah. So there are points when he's... But he's genuinely quite a serious man. Yeah, that's the thing. He's the... Because I've only read a few things, but I remember reading Civil War, and he was like... He was so deadly serious throughout the whole thing. And he's like... There's like the whole Illuminati element, and they're all like these proper high-level, like, super intellectuals... Yeah. ...who don't crack a smile or crack a joke or anything, which could not be further from Robert Downey Jr. So the Illuminati are like the, uh, I think it's the seven, Mm. seven or eight most intelligent people in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Or humans, should I say, in the Marvel Universe. So it's Charles Xavier, Black Bolt, Reed Richards, Black Panther, Beast, Tony Stark. And then sometimes it's sort of, and Hank Pym. So it's these, these group of characters that are sort of, super intelligent and come together to control certain things that happen. Yeah, but then that's that. I think that that's a bit of a trope that I think they've sort of bucked the trend now with Tony Stark is that if someone's hyper intelligent, then it means they don't have a sense of humor. Yeah. That's usually the trope. If you think about it, like yeah. even things like, you know, Sherlock. Yeah. And or, it's, it's like Reed Richards, for example, mm. Reed has always been the super intelligent guy that just doesn't get the joke. Yeah. Because he thinks about it too literally. Yeah. <clears throat> and Charles Xavier, you know, again, doesn't make jokes because he's got so much, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and he can hear every thought and he can do this. And yeah. Beast is just too preoccupied with science to think about other things. And it's, but that's the thing like that. I think that was probably the biggest contribution from, um, John Favreau in particular. And yeah. obviously he brought this sort of this more comedic sensibility to the whole thing yeah. and allowed Robert Downey Jr. to freestyle. Like they were saying, like I said, we were talking about the um, behind the scenes stuff. Like a lot of this movie was like improvised and quite yeah. loose. Like they had different versions of the script. In one version of the script, he was going to fight the Mandarin in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, but it was all quite loose and it was all quite improvisational. And like it, that's what Jeff Bridges says. It felt like a student film yeah. with like a massive budget. Um, and that is like the genius of it, I think, because if he had, if Tony hadn't been funny in any way, if he had been completely down the line, then he, I don't think he would have been, he wouldn't have been likable. He no. would have just been an arsehole yeah. who treats people like shit. And then that's the end of it because he's funny. It makes like, yeah. you forgive a lot of things. If someone's funny, like, do you, know what I mean? like <laughs> you can get away with a lot more if you can make people smile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's the, the perfect likable arsehole. Um, who we like that's the thing he's become this massive deal now but it's because of this first movie yeah they nailed it um but yeah and like one of the things that i want to say about is um again like i always like to go back to like how things can be sort of grounded in the real world and like we said with cap a lot of the tech is sort of future now mm. so it's like it is like a sort of exaggerated version of present day tech- technology yeah which is the same with this so when you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that could work. Yeah. You think you think that could work. I mean, when you look into like the logistics of it, you're like, that's absolutely not possible. 
<clears throat> but it convinces you. Yeah, they go there through... There aren't magic yeah. powers like... Um, it's Well, not magic powers. There aren't, like, superpowers. No. Like there are with Superman, for example. This isn't disparaging against Superman, but Superman's ability to fly is just a... Oh, Superman can fly. How? He can just fly. He just can. This is one of his superpowers. Yeah. That's the thing. So, yeah, this is all, but this is all entirely tech-based, like you say. And it's like... And there are... So, like, you talk about an arc reactor, and it's like a... It's like... It's, it's sci-fi, essentially. Yeah. It's a sci-fi explanation for something. There's like, well, it's... It's, it's a yeah. bit. It's a big fuck off battery that just a magic ge- box that just generates his own power. Yeah, that he sticks in his chest. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like in re- in reality, technology like that would change the world, and they do actually explore that in some of the sequels. Yeah, um, but and there's the, this whole thing with the arc reactor as well. It is um, there's a whole whole massive thing about it post Civil War mm. uh, in a thing called Stark Resilient where he finally gives the world the arc reactor tech. Okay. In like a bid to get this clean energy going, because it is clean energy. It, yeah. There's no byproduct. It doesn't give off any gases or fumes. And He's like, I've spent too many years sitting on this, too many years being careful, overly careful with this, when I've actually been using it for so many different things, that this is the st- first Stark resilient car. And it's a car that's just powered by the Stark energy, uh, by the Arc energy. And it, 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 it's really interesting how they bring in a lot of this new stuff. Mm. But like you say, it is this sort of magic box MacGuffin yeah. at this point. But like that that's at the centre of it all. But then apart from that, everything else has got some sort of tangible feel to it. So particularly the suit. So the suit and all the CGI renderings and all the like suits they put together, they have thought about each individual piece, how it slots into yeah. each other bit. And and it reminds me very much of how they approach the Transformers movies. Yeah. Um, the, at least the original Transformers movie, is that when the when Optimus Prime transforms from a truck into a you know a human, a, a like-looking robot, thing, yeah. a robot, they think about where every piece goes and how it moves yeah. and what the sequence has to be in order for him to become one thing into another. Yeah. It's not just a random collection of things. Yeah. And they've applied that same thing to this. So there is a, there's a lot of thought gone into it. And because mm-hmm. of that, it pays off on screen. It makes you feel that this is a suit that a guy could sit in yeah. and actually go and do this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that's the thing. Sort of going back to the, the Transformers bit, just as an aside and to, for me to show off and, because I know things and stuff. Um, Optimus Prime was made out of 120,000 moving parts. Bumblebee was made out of 90,000 moving parts. And yeah. the other three, Ironhide, Ratchet and Jazz, were both about 60. All three were about 60,000. Yeah. Whereas with Iron Man, the suit, the final Mark III suit, the red and gold one, is 400 individual pieces. There you go. Yeah. That all move. Yeah. So it's not just the suit itself, which is made of hundreds more. But there are four hundred moving parts on yeah. that alone, on just on the practical part, and you see, you don't see that much of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's it that atten- all functionally works. Yeah, and it's that attention to detail <clears throat> that really sort of sells it. And it's like, yeah, you, you think of, and there, I mean, you could sort of criticize going back. This is how they did it originally, and now I think they've become a little bit too over reliant on yeah. CGI. And yeah, so I the, agree. You do get a couple of instances in the later movies, like particularly in um, Infinity War, where it just looks like Robert Downey Jr.'s head just floating, yeah. and clearly he's just wearing like a green screen suit with other dots all over it. Mm-hmm. Which they do employ like techniques like that here in this movie, but yeah. I don't know. They somehow managed they blend it more seamlessly in this one. Well, so in this one, the sort of the upper yeah. body armor was is he wears. So a lot of. Um, um, a lot of the scenes, so it does happen in Infinity War, which is why there is sort of quite this big jump between some of the scenes. Yeah. Is at some points Tony or sorry Robert is wearing the actual body piece, yeah, for the suit, and then there are other scenes when he's not, and then the the mask will just drop back, mm. and you're like, oh, that looks a bit funny, yeah, yeah. But it's the same like in uh, Black Panther as well. Is it is there's this sudden change from it being the Civil War costume, which is almost entirely practical, yeah. Um, which is just accentuated with CG like Spider-Man's costume is. And then in Black Panther, where it's like, it just pops up over his suit. Yeah. But it's, yeah, and it's uh, it's nice to see this 
really sort of really like origin level. Yeah, back really to basics. Yeah, it'll be and it'll be interesting now that now they'll be talking about that how they're going to approach the Captain Marvel thing. Yeah. So Captain Marvel, we know that she's going to have there's going to be some practical suits we've seen in the trailers, mm-hmm. but there's also going to be a point where she gets like super overpowered and goes all like Goku from from um, binary. Yeah, yeah, and like oh, then she has, well, her, her hair lights up and goes on end and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, is that going to feel like CG with Brie Larson's face in the middle of it, yeah. or, or is it going to feel more like this, where it's clearly Brie Larson in a suit? Yeah, because they've got that new Marvel helmet style yeah. thing. So Star Lord's helmet. Pops out from a little thing and just grows around. Yeah, his head. everyone's helmet. Just... Ant Man and the Wasp's helmets are just hoods now. Uh, Spider Man's just can come just come up and down when he's got the Iron Spider suit. And yeah, Tony's as well. Black Panther. So they've all got these sort of like magically disappearing hoods and hats and helmets. Yeah. But Captain Captain Marvel has the same. Yeah, that's true. We've seen that already happen, haven't we, in the trailer? Yeah, again, yeah. yeah. But, she, she has it, the Mohawks. Great. Just, yeah. Because and it's based off of the design from the, the uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick run, which you should everybody should absolutely go and read. Um, but it's this new costume, and it's 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 really visually interesting as well. And it's like, how does it change from the green and black to the red, gold, and blue? Yeah. Um, why does it change? There's all of these extra things yeah. that are built in. It's like I really want to see He's it. Really excited. It's, it's, really excited. It's soon, mate. Soon. Iron Man. We're talking yeah, about sorry, Iron Man. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Away. Going back to the beginning, um, but again, yeah, I mean, I, was quite, I don't know how much there is to say. It, it's a very straightforward story. I feel like they they try and touch on some certain points and sort of themes about accountability and taking responsibility and all that yeah. kind of thing, which are tried and tested. Yeah, superhero sort of tropes, um, but on this size, it's like he takes responsibility, and it's like the military industrial complex. It's on a huge scale where he's seeing he can see people being killed by the weapons that he made where he was mm-hmm. meant to be protecting them yeah. and therefore takes responsibility for it. And that's his arc. Like, the thing that made me laugh, I suppose, when we had the um, the synopsis was up on um, Netflix. Yeah. And it says, oh, he uses it to fight crime. And it's like, it doesn't really. No. He doesn't really. No, <laughs> I, again, he loses... I mean, you could arguably call it a crime against humanity. Yeah, but like, that's, that's what's different about this as a superhero as well and that's what like marvel did it straight out of the gate is that he's already operating at like a global level he's intervening into conflicts international crisis international crises on the other side he doesn't start he's not like spider-man like sorting out some muggers do you yeah. know what i mean he's already at a point where it's like this is like huge and therefore that means that when we get to the end of the movie and he declares that i am iron man it changes everything and yeah. there's a knock-on effect from that into everything that goes forward, um, which they explore in the sequels and all the spin-offs and all the rest of it. But it was in, it's interesting that they started out like that. It's quite a bold move to yeah. go from nothing <laughs> to that. Well, yeah. You know I mean? And it is, it's this really, really sort of strong way of introducing a franchise that if nothing had come after this, mm. I would still love this film. Yeah. The fact that it spawned 19, 20 other films to date yeah just absolutely adds to the gravitas of it yeah it's this 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 sort of revolutionary sort of thing that came about that has seeded different things in throughout like you said you pointed out earlier with the, one of the buildings has got rocks on in there <laughs> I never which is that something before. that's <laughs> still happening like that's the... featured in spin-off tv shows where yeah. rocks on is like the big bad yeah rocks on are like the big bad for um cloak and dagger, cloak and dagger but they're also like i swear there was a rocks on corporation thing in like was mentioned in daredevil yeah they've been mentioned in loads of stuff rocks... yeah it was in iron man 3 iron man was... 3 was rocks on yeah so yeah and like little like things like that but that's what i mean like, the world building again like if you think about it this movie not only launched Iron Man as a character, but launched Marvel, like obviously yeah. the Nick Fury and the S.H.I.E.L.D. elements of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had introduction to Agent Coulson, who Agent Coulson <sighs> is kind of, was the phase one, the glue that held it all together. Tom just saluted for everybody. <laughs> I, love, I love him. I love Phil. Um, and he sort of, he popped up in, he actually, thinking about it, he was only ever in like this, Iron Man 2 and Thor. Mm-hmm. That's it. But he made such an impact because of Clark Gregg being Clark yeah. Gregg. 
and just and that's part of like reading about what happened on this movie like he originally was just going to be agent didn't even have a second name but he turned up and he sort of improvised and did did his own thing with the cast so well that they gave him more to do yeah and they gave him a name and they gave him a whole he got to reveal at the end because he kept He's going around saying, oh, we're the Strategic Homeland Intervention, intervention enforcement, enforcement and Logistics Division. And they go, oh, that's a mouthful. And then at the end, he goes, just call a shield. Yeah. And all the nerds everywhere just... <clears throat> and it's like... <laughs> I did that. Yeah. That was the Marvel gasp. I did that. Yeah. yeah the MCU gasp. Um, but yeah, it's... But again, like, that's just... It's, it never do, it's a little, like, subplot that never detracts from anything. Mm-hmm. It's not like they cut away and suddenly there's a scene with some dude. He's just, you know what I mean? He, he pops up two or three yeah. times throughout the movie and he plays a part in the finale and then that's it. And yeah, but he also like, like he pops up in places where it's not just like a gratuitously thrown in. No. He pops up as places you would expect like yeah, so, an undercover yeah. agent to be. Yeah, so you meet like immediately after Tony gets back, they're like, right, we need to debrief him. And so yeah. some mysterious bloke in a, in a suit, yeah. like the men in black sort of thing, just turns up and approaches Pepper and is like, I want to debrief him. Well, let's schedule something. And then he turns up again asking the same thing. And he keeps asking, he wants to debrief him. And you're like, well, what's, what's this got to do with anything? And then later, obviously, he goes with S.H.I.E.L.D. Then Nick Fury turns up. And again, it's just this really clever way of, of seeding something without ever pulling us away from the main story. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then we end up with... Coulson turns up again in Iron Man 2, has more to do. He turns up in Thor and has quite a bit to do. And then even you know further down the line, obviously he ends up getting his own TV show all based around Agent Coulson and his team because Clark Gregg brought that much of his own personality yeah. and his own sort of... Yeah, yeah kind of the fair play to the bloke. He, just, he built a career off the back of just a, a little gig playing Agent number one in Iron Man. So, <laughs> But like... I just there are so many things about this and like Jeff Bridges like Jeff Bridges <laughs> like Pepper Potts isn't just an annoying wailing monster Pepper Potts is good in this movie and this is something we need to talk about as well as we go through is because um, Marvel I think have got a pretty good track record when it comes to female characters yeah and there are a couple of exceptions to that I feel like yeah Pepper Potts does get more annoying <laughs> I don't know I don't know what the best way of putting it is but she she becomes less of a likeable character yeah as the films go on I think in this movie she is quite good yeah and she sort of she trades back and forth with Tony yeah. and she's quite witty and she's I don't know I feel like she's just written better I guess yeah um, <clears throat> but then as it goes on she just sort of becomes she becomes that horrible thing which is the nagging girlfriend yeah which is really disappointing yeah because you look at something like this where you do have someone who's Tony Stark's assistant is giving him sass and talks back to him. And then she becomes CEO. Yeah. And then she gets more and more involved. But there are points where she's just literally screaming at him and about different things and seems to be, it's like, ah, oh, if only Tony didn't have this nagging woman at his back. And it's just like, she's better than that. Yeah. It's similar, like, it's a trope that a lot of things fall into. I think one of the ones that I springs to mind immediately is um, Skylar White in Breaking Bad. Yeah. People hated her because she was the nagging wife who, yeah. like, everyone just wants Walter White to go out and just be a drug dealer and be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she keeps getting in the way by nagging at him. And that's kind of what happened to Pepper Potts, which is a shame because that's not what, like you said, yeah. that's not what she's meant to be. Um, and in comparison to some of the other sort of love interests, if you like, in the Marvel universe. Yeah, because that's one thing that we were saying that we regretted that we didn't speak about more last week was mm. Agent Carter. Yeah, Agent Carter. So Peggy Carter, played by Hayley Atwell, absolutely smashed it in her own movie. But again, she was one of the ones where the character was so good, so popular, it spun off into its own TV show. Yeah, so it and got she, the one shot first. Yeah, first the one shot because everyone loved Agent Carter. And then they went... We can make this into a series. Yeah. And they did the a two... There was only ever two series of it. And it ended on a cliffhanger and they never resolved it. And it's really annoying. Oh, it's really disappointing. But anyway, it was great and it proved back then, which was like, what? Four or five years ago now, I guess? Yeah. That Marvel can do female characters. Yeah. And they'd done them in the movies. Like, if they hadn't had the foundation that they did in the first Avenger, because she was like... she was 
didn't give in it like immediately the first time they introduced Car- Agent Carter she just punches a dude in the face for being yeah. a misogynist arsehole yeah like straight away um, and they could have fallen into the trap similar to what happened with Pepper Potts in that by the end of it she's just pining over Steve and she's like really sad that he's lost but then what they managed to do with by giving her that TV show was to show her moved on from that yeah and she was strong independent doing her own thing and just kicking ass and she didn't it wasn't just 13 episodes of her sadly looking at a photo of Steve Rogers yeah like that's what it could have been but it wasn't yeah she wasn't like wistfully pining over exactly the death of Captain America so that was that's an instance where by giving that character more to do they've improved it yeah with Pepper I feel like they gave her more to do but unfortunately because she was always inexorably tied to Tony she was always going to just be rolling her eyes at him no matter yeah. what which is a shame but, yeah. yeah, and it's like there's a, like a weird characterization in in two when she just completely flips and becomes like really aloof and she's just like, oh, what are you doing here? Sort of thing. Or like yeah. when he goes to see her and oh yeah, I remember that. She's like, oh, I'm trying to run the company, and it's like you've got this massive change, and I get that would be a massive change if you're going from somebody's PA to being the CEO of the company. All of that responsibility is now on you, and you're going to be frustrated. Mm. But it's this weird characterization that they wrote in there yeah. as well. It it starts to become more redemptive in three. Yeah, but even in three, she's you know she's pretty much fridged at yeah. some point. You yeah. Know? So she's it, it's and it's really disappointing. And then in Avengers, she's reduced to like half a dozen shots yeah. where she's just sat around pining over Tony yeah um, and it's a shame I think the probably one of the worst like we talked about one of the best characters Marvel have done in the movies female characters in um, Asian Carter Pepper is her own thing but then uh, the, there are other smaller incidental characters which I feel like are probably one of the worst examples of female characters and in this one it is Leslie Bibb's character yeah so Leslie Bibb is the journalist who approaches Tony and asked him some difficult questions about arms dealing. And within about 30 seconds of chatting her up, he just takes her home, and then she's just padding around in his flat the next day wearing one of his big shirts, over, yeah. oversized shirts, and it's all a bit mm, uh, icky. And then there's the, there's the whole um, stripper pole thing in, in, in his plane. Yeah. And it's like, I get it, he's a playboy, and the idea is that we're not meant to like him, I guess. But... I feel like, like I said that you. I said this to you as we were watching it. I feel like they never would have got away with that if they did it today. No, definitely not. Unless it, unless he was a villain. Yeah. If he was a villain, if and he it, was, the uh, yeah, and I think it's they wanted to show him being this sort of fifty sixties era, or well, as Stanley based Tony Stark off of Howard Hughes, but that sort of character, yeah, gallivanting around with ladies following him. But I mean, does that? But mean... it is. It, but it is a bit like. Mm. It is you, you're watching a film and you are looking at. I know we're looking at a different lens now when we're looking at what's next is Captain Marvel. Yeah, you know who is this absolute paragon of sort of feminism in superhero comics. Yeah, she is faster, she is stronger, she is better. You know, she she just is. Yeah, and then you go back to the very beginning and you see that women are sort of as reductive as being sexy air hostesses d- dancing around a stripper pole. Yeah, in Tony's private jet. Yeah, and only one woman is allowed to talk back to him because he's because uh, he is in love with her. Yeah, apart from the airman who's driving him around, but then he gets weird with her and all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've got excellent bone structure. I'm kind of having a hard time not looking at you now. Is that yeah. weird? <laughs> and and again, if that was delivered with any other sense of sort of well, any other sense of delivery. Than what's coming out of Robert Downey Jr. It would have come across as really creepy. Like you imagine Mark um, Mark Wahlberg. Oh. <laughs> I'm having a having a bit of tough time not looking at you now. I'm Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Talk a little higher than you think. I'm not really ever sure where I'm going with what I'm saying. I blinded a guy once. I blinded a guy once. <laughs> I beat up a guy in a racially motivated attack. Yeah, but uh, it's cool now, bro, because I pray a lot. I get up at four a.m. I do my prayers, I go to the gym, I pump iron, and then I pretend that I'm not a horrible racist man. Okay? Yeah, I'm in family films now. What What are you going to say about that? I'll beat your ass. <laughs> Fuck you, Mark Wahlberg. 
Anyway, go see Instant Family in cinemas now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, there are other things that I want to sort of. I know we've been going on for sort of a fairly long time, but there are there's so much in this. Like mm. you were saying about Captain America as well. There is so much world building as well. Yeah. So when you know it's yeah the villain is Obadiah Stane. Yeah. But it is the like we said again about seeding this bigger world. There's the ten rings are in there. Yeah, I think that's the, I don't know if that's them seeding something so much it is left over of an earlier version of the script. Yeah, I think like that's some because originally there were the Mandarin was going to be part of this movie. It was going to be a villain in this movie, and the ten rings. Is part his like terrorist organization? The idea being well, there. he does, and he actually has ten rings in the yeah. So in the comics, the Mandarin is a horrible racial stereotype. Yeah, um, from way back, and he has ten power rings, one for each digit, and each one does a different different thing. Yeah, and he's the um, oh, I don't know how to say this without using like a racial epithet because well, it's, it's, it's just Fu Manchu, isn't it? Is what it's kind of kind of yeah. yeah. So he's like the Ming the Merciless sort yeah. of stereotype, like yellow face for lack of a better term. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, he's got like, yeah, and it's 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 quite tough to go back to. So I understand that they've desperately steered away from that. Yeah, and then, well, they did they did a very brave thing with Iron Man Three, which is like which I still agree with. Yeah, a think... lot of people don't. A lot of people hate it, but that's that's besides the point. That's is Iron Man Three is one of the most divisive Marvel movies yeah, by far, for sure. Um, but that's besides the point. What they did with this one is they hinted at it by having this organization that called themselves the Ten Rings. Yeah, and that was the only hint at it. And then later on in Iron Man 3, it comes back and you see there's the symbol of the Ten Rings organisation mm-hmm. and it comes back and that's who the Mandarin is meant to be leading, heading up. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's that little bit of world building and then it, it leapfrogs into the Obadiah Stain thing. And what the problem with, well, it's not a problem, it became a problem later on with Marvel villains is that a lot of them ended up being like just... Of an, an evil version of the good well, guy. Yeah, it's the same but bad. Same but bad. Same but bad. And like this was the 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 starting point of that. So you had so yeah you had Obadiah staying in this, and then you have well I mean loads of other examples. I mean like the Red Skull is one. I guess. Yeah, I mean even to even to now with Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah, they just is, yeah he's just he's got the same technology, same suit. Um, Ant Man is just a guy with the same suit. Yep. He's got shrinking technology. Um, like Hulk, Hulk. Fight, fights an evil Hulk. Yep. Like everyone just fights an evil version of themselves, which is something Marvel has been criticised for. And kind of rightly so, I guess, but a lot of that just comes from the comics, so you, there's not much you can do about well, it. Yeah, it's not just that. It's not just that. It's just... Um, it's People lean into these things in a lot of ways, but you think with so many other different things now, they're almost always going to be that way anyway. So yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Sherlock yeah, Holmes' true. great nemesis is Moriarty, who is equally, if not slightly more intelligent, but is slightly less deductive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a trope that is not exclusive to comics at all. I know what you're saying. But it is. it, um, does, it does become very clear when you have 10 years and 20 films. Yeah. Um, I think part of the issue, I suppose, is that none of the Marvel characters have... Apart with the exception of Spider-Man, I don't think any one individual character has a wide breadth of what they call the rogues gallery. Yeah, so... Spider-Man's the exception, and then in comparison to someone like Batman. Yeah, so one of the... The the thing is, like, from, like, a cursor... From, like, a surface level, that's completely understandable. Like, I'm... But as you know, very well know, I'm someone that's read comic books for decades mm-hmm. now, since I was about four or five years old, all the way through until now. I've got another delivery today. Um, but there are these wide rose galleries, but people just aren't aware of them. Yeah. But when, and it's an interesting point, because when we look at something like Iron Man, Captain America and Thor, they are three of the most recognisable characters on the planet right now mm. because of these films. Before that, they weren't that big. No, that's true. The Avengers was, hasn't always been like a big title. No, it hasn't. No, you're right. It's been Spider-Man. It's been X-Men. Yeah. The Avengers have always been sort of lower rate from there. Yeah, the Avengers like never sold any, or whatever as popular as the Justice League. No. Really? No. And now, now they are. 
They are absolutely. They've overtaken them now. By for, yeah, for lots of reasons. But they just that's the reason that these films ended up where they were because people didn't want to buy them. Mm. When Marvel was selling off things left, right, and centre, due to bankruptcies in the nineties, mm. they just didn't. That's how they were like, okay, well, we'll sell Captain America's likenesses for this film. It's really bad. Okay, well, we've got it back. No one's going to want to make that anymore. So they kept these ones and sat on them. So Iron Man didn't have his own... Well, he had his standalone comics. Yeah. But they weren't ever as big sellers as the rest. It's these films that have made him day-to-day. Yeah. So when we see stuff like The Winter Soldier... Mm. The Winter Soldier's a really, really new concept. Like, he didn't come out until the 2000s. No, yeah, a lot of it, like... The, the Guardians of the Galaxy reboot, the version of it, the, of the team that we know, only came out a few years before the movie came out, really, yeah. wasn't it? It was like, and the same with like, I say, Extremis was a big influence on this yep. movie, and that was only a couple of years before. Yep. And yeah, so a lot of it, and like even Civil War, the Civil War storyline, like everyone was excited when they said, oh, we're going to adapt Civil War, but it's not like that came out in the 60s. That came mm. out like five years ago. Or whatever it was, yeah. between when the Civil War movie came out and the Civil War comic book run yeah. was happening. Um, so you're right that they are keeping it quite fresh, and they're like, but what that means is they're avoiding pitfalls. Like they by doing Civil War, they've avoided some of the pitfalls and things you can get into when you go back and adapt old stuff. Because when you go back and adapt old stuff, you get problems like the Mandarin. Yeah, how do you how do you solve a problem like the Mandarin when it is a horrible racial stereotype? Yeah, so you get you get stuck in that little you know. So that therefore they have to I think adapt a lot of the more recent. Yeah, runs and that's things. understandable. So, but then there are things that they could use that are sort of different. But when you have someone like Captain America, who do you put opposite Captain America as a villain? Hmm. So Donald, his villains are like Donald Trump, Baron Zemo, like. <laughs> He's gone up against the president before. I know. Like, and then the president killed himself because of something that Captain America caught him out around the time of Watergate. Yeah. Captain I, America yeah. walked away from the Captain America title and became nomad. Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, that's a whole another thing. That's a whole another thing. like secret empire and there's, it's finding these analogs to put them against because you can't put the, where is it's how, so the, the Superman problem. Who do you find to fight Superman? Superman. Yeah. So it's always a bad version of Superman, which is Bizarro or Doomsday or bloody um, Zod or any of the other Kryptonians or well, Supergirl. Or... Not, not in my draft for my, my draft for Man of Steel Two's got him going up against a corrupt government. Not much you can do about that, even if you've got laser eyes. But anyway, we're not talking about my <laughs> spec script for Man of Steel 2. Listen, uh, if we're going to start talking about spec scripts, I need to talk to you about Paddington 3. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, I've never seen either of the Paddington movies. So. The Reckoning. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, <laughs> turns out it's 28 weeks later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've got time. We've got plenty of time left on the podcast. Let's talk Paddingtons. Let's not. <laughs> we can do a trilogy. We'll do a grand rewatch. I'll pitch it in episode three. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. We got. I think we've got a gap coming up. Let's do it. How the adorable, bimbly little bear goes from marmalade to prison. <laughs> comes out of prison. But what does he do in three? Just bimbles his way into being some sort of mastermind overlord of the world. And just keeps accidentally doing genocides and things. He's like, oh no. Oh, I just wanted a marmalade sandwich. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't mean that. He's fucking adorable. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, carrying on. Carrying on. Um, yeah, I think that's probably like, yeah, I think we'll pick up the conversation about villains, I think, next week when we talk about Thor, because yeah. Thor is the exception, or one of the yeah. big exceptions, because they had Loki. Yeah. Um, and Loki is by far one of the strongest Marvel With, Yeah, villains. without a doubt. And part of the reason, I, well, you can't accuse Loki of being the same but evil for Thor. No, they are chalk and cheese. They are completely different. Mm-hmm. So that you know, and the same with like Thanos. There's no real equivalent of Thanos in no. in amongst all of them. He's his own thing. And that was justified at the start of Infinity War as well. When yeah. The first thing that they did was they pulled out their big weapon. Yeah. So Thor got beaten into a pulp by him pretty much, and then yeah. the next thing you know, they're like, "We have a Hulk," and he just gets the shit kicked out of him yeah. immediately. 
But anyway, we're talking about Iron Man. Anyway, Iron yes, Man 2008. Back to Iron Man 2008. But yeah, like a lot of what is in this is really, really heavily grounded and everything has escalated from there. Mm. It's really important for me to say to sort of everyone today is that if you are going to be watching these, do go back. Yeah. Because they are really, really enjoyable. Yeah. They're really fun. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing the Grand Rewatch is because it's to take a step right back to the start, which is really easy with Marvel because they're not very outdated now. No. And like, Some and things are, like Tony's suits yeah. and haircut, yeah. skincare routine. Somehow he looks older in this than he does now. Yeah. I don't understand that, but I think part of that's to do with the haircut and stuff, like you say. Um, yeah, so there are certain things that do feel a bit dead. Well, I mean, there are some of the things that stand out, like Terrence Howard. Yeah. 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 Sure. <laughs> I mean, what can we say about that, really? I mean, but... yeah. I mean, he just, yeah. Terrence Howard originally played Rhodey in this movie. Mm-hmm. He was paid more than any other actor in the movie. He was the highest paid actor on this movie. More than Robert Downey Jr., more than Gwyneth Paltrow, which I can't get my head around, really. I don't think he's ever been a big movie star, has he, really? But anyway. Yeah, I mean, did he win a, I think he won an Oscar. No, you're thinking of Cuba Gooden Jr. No. Don't make me out to be a racist. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> no, because they're, they're, they had similar sort of career trajectories, those two. They were around at the same sort of time, and then they both kind of disappeared. Anyway, Terrence Howard plays Rhodey in this movie, Got paid a lot of money. He then, when they came to renegotiate for Iron Man 2, he demanded too much money, basically, and they just went, you know what, forget it. Nominated for an Oscar. Right, okay. Um, was it for Crash? No. Best performance by an actor in a leading role. Hustle and flow. <laughs> Hustle and flow. Anyway. Um, yeah, so then they replaced him with Don Cheadle. He Jesus. was nominated for Crash. Was he? <laughs> Fuck's sake. <sighs> Crash. Screen Actors Guild. <sighs> Um, but yeah, and they, they replace him then with Don Cheadle, and Don Cheadle has played the part in all the subsequent movies since then. So it's one of the early instances of something that happens in the Phase One Marvel movies where they get actors and then they don't quite work for whatever reason. Um, they just don't, yeah. And They're to be honest, brushed out the door. Yeah, they just they they get rid of him and they replace him. And to be fair, I don't like his version of Rhodey. Like I thought it was like I've got a bias against it because I prefer the new guy. Mm. But watching it again today is like no, I just he's not. He doesn't feel like Rhodey. No, he just he's not. They don't, they don't have the same chemistry. They don't, and they're not. It doesn't feel like they're friends. No, he just he just feels like a bit of an arsehole. He just feels like a bit of a sort of like the the biggest thing that points that you know comes to mind is the bit where he goes to try and recruit Rhodey because originally Tony doesn't want to be in the suit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't think of himself as a hero. He wants to build the suit and he wants Rhodey to be in it. Because he's a pilot, he's a Air Force pilot. That's what they make him in this version yeah. of it. He was never originally. Originally, he was like a military uh, army guy, wasn't he? Yeah. But anyway, that was because what is he? So he's in um, like special weapons development. Yeah, he's in special development, but it's it's definitely Air for Force. the Air Force. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what Tony goes to him to do that, and this is after he says, "Oh, we're not going to make weapons anymore." And the minute he says, "Oh, this thing I'm working on is not for the military." Rody like turns on him and just go, immediately shuts him down and just goes, "Look, no, fuck you. You need time to get your mind right. Get get out of here." Yeah. And it's just like, that's your friend who's been, lo- yeah. who saw some horrific things that have made him change his entire worldview. Was literally tortured and was and like has got a big hole in his chest. Has been was presumed dead for three months, and now has got this like the idea that he's talking about. I saw young Americans killed, and Rody can't click with that because yeah. even as a serviceman. It's just seen, yeah, it's a yeah. weird bit of characterization. I don't think it's necessarily Terrence Howard's fault. No. I guess it's down to the script or whatever, but it's one of the most unlikable things that Rhodey has ever done. Yeah. And it happens to be Terrence Howard doing it. Yeah. So, unfortunately, sorry, Terrence, but that makes you seem like a bit of a dick. And where's Don? I want Don. Yeah. You bring, <laughs> and then you bring Don in, in, in the very start of Iron Man 2 in the yeah. courtroom. And they're immediately just sassing off one another. Yeah, they're immediately riffing. Yeah, they've immediately got chemistry. Yeah, hey buddy, didn't know I, was, you know, I didn't expect to see you here. Yeah, so, look, it's me. Let's just get on with it. Yeah, <laughs> which is another it's me. Is, I'm here. Deal with it. Which is which is another great like um, meta commentary yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, and you're right. They had they have got that chemistry, and like I can't imagine anything. Even the stuff like Iron Man Two is not particularly well thought of, but I can't imagine like. 
the scene between Tony and Rhodey where they fight yeah. with Terrence Howard. No. I can't imagine how that would work. Yeah. Or even like going even further, thinking of like the you know, think about the end of Civil War where Rhodey can't walk. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting way too far ahead. But we keep like... jumping too far ahead. But it's because it's so easy to with, with a film like this, is that it is very much the the starting gate for mm. this marathon that we've seen yeah. everything of all across over the last and 10 that years. And it's because of movies like because of the reason we enjoy the movies that the current movies as they're coming out now so much is because we have lived with these characters now for 10 yeah. years and we started off back here yeah. back in 2008 when everyone was at three different parts of their lives. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You think about what you were doing in 2008 and it's just like the things that have happened to you since then. Yeah. And throughout all of that, those characters have been part of it and you've been going to the cinema to see the same actors play the same parts and watch them develop and grow. And yeah. So that is why this franchise is what it is. Um, and that is the genius of Marvel, really. But it all started right here. Yeah. With Iron Man. It did. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's probably a good place to call it for today. That, that, was, my, that was my plan. I mean, as, yeah. I was, as I was speaking, I was kind of thinking we should just... Yeah. <laughs> uh... I, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, it is a great film. Yeah. It's... I think we talked about all the characters, haven't we? We've talked about... We've covered everything yeah. off, really. Like, yeah. I saw a, a, one sort of slight interstitial thing that I want to add. I saw a video the other day, a video essay about the scores in Marvel films. Yeah. And how they're not good. And and I was like... I respectfully disagree. Exactly. But they were, they were saying about different parts in there. But going back and listening to it today, it's really good. Well, this is it's um, not. It's not. This isn't Sylvester, though, is it? No. This is the guy who does. Oh shit! What's his name? He does all the music for um, Westworld. Oh yeah. Um, oh fuck! I can't Look it up because he's great. I remember because Westworld they they're doing a lot of um, like remixes, cover versions of of songs like done in a different style, and they're great. But I always remember that he's the same guy who did the Iron Man soundtrack. Because this soundtrack is lots of uh, rock-based yeah. stuff, like a lot of heavy guitar and like Remin Juardi. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and like the use of ACDC at the beginning and all that sort of thing. And it is, and then they get to use I, yeah, you know, the Black Sabbath at the end. Oh, yeah. it's and so, that, so it's always like there's always been the connection between Iron Man and rock music. Um, and they they cement that really well throughout this yeah. using by doing what they did with the score. There are there are bits of it where it is scored and it is yeah. like traditional like you know, brass and strings and all the rest of it. But they stitch that together with bits of rock and bits of like guitar based, like electric guitar yeah, over exactly. the top of like a classical sort of coordination. But um, yeah, he's really good. And I, I was just thinking, that, as I was watching the video, like, give all, all due respect to the guy. Like, he's done some research, but it's nonsense what he's saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> all due respect, but he's talking shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> respectfully, you put in a lot of effort and you made a nice video. And it's quite interesting with some of the points that were raised. But, um, yeah, the example that he used in this just was is completely negated when you actually go back and watch it. Um, but, yeah, and it's like. Again, this is another sort of shift in characterization. Is that Tony was like a like classical music and stuff because that's what that's what rich, wealthy, yeah. eccentric billionaires liked before the nineties. You know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what what is it he's listening to when he's um, when he's playing around with the hot rod though? Oh, that's um, oh, what's that's that very much rock. That's yeah, very yeah, much that's, not that's classical, like, is it? That's like nineties rock. No, oh no, but in the comics, sorry. Oh right, Tony yeah, is like sorry, a. Yeah. Uh, classical guy. Um, oh fuck! I can't remember the name of the song now. It's right on the tip of my tongue, but anyway. But yeah, so um, yeah, going back to the end of the podcast again. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. Yeah, man. I mean, I didn't expect us to talk for an hour and ten minutes. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. I thought it would be longer than that. Sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> we know you like your fifty-two minutes. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably it for now. I mean, got anything else? Nah, I mean, yeah, he's less thing. It's it's strange to go back and talk about this in in a in the context that we're talking about it now, like ten yeah. years into it. But 
like you say, this is the perfect jumping off point. So if there's anyone who's got any sort of interest in this and doesn't understand any of it, then they should go back and watch what we're doing, which is yeah. Captain America, Iron, Iron Man. Man and Thor. Um, and see how you get on. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, build it from there. Okay, so I think that's going to sort of do it for this week. Um, yeah, so stick with us on all the socials. Mm-hmm. This week coming, we're probably not going to be doing any extra episodes. I know we keep promising to do some Netflix things and stuff, but yeah, we're pretty busy at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. We, so yeah, um, our next episode is going to be Thor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'll be out uh, sort of about same sort of time, normal time next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, find us on the socials: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can get us at the Pod at gmail dot com. Yep. Another big thanks to everybody that's been sort of rating and reviewing us this week. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Jack. Or if that is your real name. And, uh, yeah, and I think that's probably going to do us. Cool. All right. See you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Test, test. Test, test, test. Uh, Seriously, we're just going to go for 10% volume. Okay? (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? You're a little high. Say again? I'm, I'm always a little high. That was the only way I get through that. It just fucking takes the edge off. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus. Oh, well, I think we found our round out.